0: From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in for Meena Kim. Coming up, the rise of artificial intelligence and its impact on politics. AI, like ChatGPT, has all kinds of possibilities and also perils. The Senate Judiciary Committee is quizzing AI witnesses at a hearing today in Washington. With the critical 2024 presidential campaign underway, it's raising red flags. We're already seeing AI-generated images and audio Some see it as a threat to democracy. The risks and unintended consequences of AI on the 2024 election, many experts are calling for regulations before it's too late. That's next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. And today for Mina Kim. Well, today in Washington, the Senate Judiciary Committee is hearing from witnesses in the field of artificial intelligence or AI. Here's Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, chairwoman of the Senate Rules Committee, questioning Sam Altman. He's the chairman of OpenAI, which created ChatGPT.
1: With an election upon us. Uh, with primary elections upon us, that we're going to have all kinds of misinformation. And I just want to know what you're planning on doing, it, doing about it. I know we're going to have to do something soon, not just for the images of the candidates, but also um, for misinformation about the actual polling places and election rules.
0: Already, we've seen ads using AI-generated images and audio, or deep fakes, as they're called. In general, AI has quickly gone from futuristic science fiction to everyday reality because it has the potential to be used for very sinister purposes, including in politics and elections, elected officials and the industry itself are calling for regulations. So this hour, we're talking about AI and the 2024 election. And joining us is one of the foremost experts on the field, UC Berkeley professor Hani Farid. He has a joint appointment in electrical engineering and computer sciences. He's also a member of the School of Information and the Berkeley Artificial Intelligence Lab, senior faculty advisor for the Center for Long Term Cybersecurity. Hani Farid, welcome. Good to be with you, Scott. Well, let me begin. I'd like to get people on the same page and not Mm -hmm. assume everyone knows everything about the topic. So give us a simple description of AI, if you would, and the range of things that it is being used for right now. Yeah. Simple is going to be a little tough. But let me (laughs) just say I've never
2: liked the term AI in this context because really what we're talking about here is machine learning. Hmm. And I mention that because when you say AI, it sounds super fancy, and while the output of these systems is are really impressive, they don't really understand what they are saying or doing. So if you go to chat GPT and you ask it for a biography about me, it will spew something out that sounds very compelling, but it's not fact checking. It will make things up. It's really just a sophisticated autocomplete. So I, I just wanted to sort of just mention that so that we we're on the same page here that what these systems are, ta- are doing are pattern matching. Now within that context, there are two main pillars of AI that we should talk about. One is what we call generative AI. That's chat GPT, Dolly image synthesis, audio, voice cloning, deep fake video, where the machines themselves are generating whole cloth content, whether that's text, images, audio or video. And they do that by scraping billions and billions of pieces of content and learning from that content. The second pillar is predictive AI. Which is the use of algorithms, machine learning, to make decisions like should you receive bail in a criminal proceeding, should you be given a loan by a bank, should you be given an interview by a company? This critical decision making using artificial intelligence or machine learning based on historical data, and those they're very different technologies. Mm. They both have really serious implications, and we should probably talk about both of them. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, in terms of generative AI and the chat mm-hmm. GPT, which I think is the one that most people are becoming more familiar with mm-hmm. uh, because it's open source and readily available and people are having fun using it, uh, what are the what are the risks that you see that are inherent with that technology? Good. So, I think that's you're absolutely right. By the way,
2: that generative AI is the thing that is so accessible. You can just go to OpenAI right now and use ChatGPT, or use Dolly, or go to Discord and use MidJourney, or do voice cloning. And so it is it is becoming very much uh, in the ether. And so, what are the the potential? Lots of creative things you can do. Lots of interesting things you can do. I, I don't think anybody denies that. But let's talk about potential harms, and these are not hypothetical. We are we are seeing this. The first and foremost is fraud. People are using voice cloning, uh, deep fake videos to commit fraud, both small scale and large scale. People are now getting voice uh, phone calls saying, I've been hurt, I've been kidnapped, I have been arrested, send money. Uh, there are large scale frauds where people are calling CEOs of company pretending to be somebody else and then defrauding to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars. So think about all of the types of fraud that we have seen from spam to the text messages now on steroids because you are literally seeing and hearing somebody who you think you are talking to. We are also seeing generative AI being used to create non-consensual sexual imagery, primarily targeted towards women, where somebody takes a woman's likeness and inserts her likeness into sexually explicit material. And then, of course, carpet bombs the internet with that material as a form of weaponization. We are also seeing, and you just heard Senator Klobuchar talk about this, disinformation campaigns, whether it's in the form of images, or a hot mic of President Biden, or an image of Trump being arrested before he was indicted, or of course, the ability to create entirely fabricated news stories and pollute the ecosystem. And then here's the last one, and I think the most important one, is that when we continue to pollute the information ecosystem with fake text, fake images, fake audio, fake video, everything will be cast into doubt. We will no longer be able to trust or believe anything. And then how do we reason about a very complex and fast-moving world? I think that in many ways is the larger risk here is that we just stop trusting anything because everything can
0: be manipulated. Hmm. Okay, so that's generative AI. We have an example of that, uh, which is actually President uh, Biden. Um, This is something uh, that was created and shared online.
3: I may be 80 years old and I may have a few drops of dementia here and there, but I'm sharper than a steel blade and vibrant enough to outsmart the best tech geniuses around. Look, I was the one who helped pass Obamacare and the assault weapons ban, and I'm not going to let anyone question my intelligence or clarity of judgment.
0: All right. Well, that's pretty convincing uh, yeah. <laughs> and funny. Uh, maybe, I don't know, I guess, uh, if, if you're if that does that concern you? And if so, yeah. well, here, here's what should concern you about that.
2: So if you had told me, look, it took a Hollywood studio, a state sponsored actor uh, to create that audio, I would say uh, it's concerning, but not deeply concerning. If you had told me it took 20 hours of audio of President Biden to synthesize and clone his voice, I would say, okay, a little concerning, but not that concerning. But here's the thing. Um, I don't know how you created that, but I, I'm i going to guess that you went over to a website ser- service, which I'm not going to mention because I don't want to point people to it. And you can pay $5 a month for this service, and you can upload two minutes of audio. And then you type, and it will synthesize that person's voice. Yeah. That is concerning because now anybody with relatively small amount of data and $5 a month can clone anybody's voice. And I can tell you that... Even just a year ago, this was unimaginable. If you had told me with two minutes of audio I can clone the president's voice, I would have said no way. Even the best voice cloning, which still weren't that good, needed hours and hours and hours of of data. And so that's what worries me. And and I can tell you, by the way, almost every day now I'm getting uh, an email from somebody saying, oh, there's a hot mic of President Biden saying something, as you just heard, inappropriate. They are all being generated. I don't think anybody's looking at the 24 election thinking, yeah, this is not going to be a problem.
0: Well, I want to play a cut from you, Professor. Uh, You were on forum in August of 2022, so Mm. less than a year ago. And just hear a short clip of what you had to say then. If we enter this world where
2: any image, any audio, any video, any tweet, any article can be fake, well, then nothing has to be real. We can simply dismiss things that we don't like or agree with. And now we are living in completely
0: alternate universes relative to those around us. So what you're saying, I think there, is that this technology kind of accelerates putting people into silos. uh, Is that that part of what what your point was there? It's it's true. But first I want to start with,
2: how do we know that that's really me <laughs> i mean we just got through this conversation
0: <laughs> all you have you look uh, you know this is kqed and i am vouching for uh this is fair this is accurate it, and fair fair enough yeah, let's okay. let's
2: let, let me concede that that was me and it is in <laughs> wait a minute way- do you have doubts that it was you <laughs> so look th- this is exactly right is before the generative ai before everything we are talking about now we were already somewhat living in our own echo chamber echo chambers because of social media because of the partisanship of the mainstream media and this is just going to make it worse and it's going to make it easier to dismiss inconvenient facts Um, and I think that that trend has been continuing for the last five years and there is no sign of let up and here's here's the thing is I don't I, I think this is really an existential threat to democracy because if we don't agree on basic facts then I don't know how we move forward. The the debate is not, how do we respond to X? The debate is, X happened. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. And by the way, you saw this play out in real time last week when Elon Musk's lawyer said that the video over and over again of Elon Musk saying self-driving cars are perfectly safe may have been a deep fake to try to counteract a lawsuit that was very much playing into this game of, well, if something can be fake, well, then I'm not accountable for anything I said anymore. And mm. That seems very dangerous to me.
0: Yeah. Well, there was uh, a fake, uh, some fake audio or imagery, I guess, uh, that has, was released in the past, uh, just last few weeks, I believe, from the RNC mm-hmm. after uh, President Biden announced he was yeah. running. Um, and they, you know, they cop to it. They, you know, they they weren't trying to pretend. I don't think that it was. Uh, these are images and so on. Um, are there any regulations right now uh, yeah. that would require you know a political organization, a campaign, or anybody else to you know tell the truth to provide some transparency?
2: Yeah, there there are no regulations, and the ad you're talking about is, I think, minutes after President Biden announced that he was going to run the RNC. Um, released in ads with this very doomsday feel to it where they were saying, well, if President Biden becomes president, this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. And then they showed a synth- synthetically generated image mimicking each of these doomsday predictions. And it was very powerful. And yes, they copped to it at the end, but in some ways it's sort of irrelevant. It's sort of like saying, you know, at the very end there's this little disclaimer and four-point font. Those images were very powerful. And I think that ad is the canary in the coal mine. Um, you can see how this is going to be continued to be used. But to your question, there are no regulations. Look, candidates can lie. There is nothing saying you can't lie. Um, and so I think this is very much what the hearings today were trying to figure out is how do we put some guardrails around this
0: technology so that it doesn't completely destroy our democracy. All right. We're going to continue this really important conversation about the 2024 election. And uh, artificial intelligence and uh, what voters should know, what consumers should know, what we all should know, really. We're going to continue with uh, Hani Farid, also going to be joined by a state legislator in uh, just a few minutes who's uh, thinking about some regulations for the state of California. We'd love to hear from you. How concerned are you about the use of AI in campaigns? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Insta, or at KQED Forum, or give us a call right now, 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and this week from Mina Kim, and this hour we're talking about the worrisome potential of artificial intelligence to spread misinformation and maybe further undermine faith in our elections. We're talking with Hani Farid. He is a professor at UC Berkeley uh, from the School of Information and also has a a joint appointment in electrical engineering and computer sciences, by the way. Uh, We'd love to hear from you your thoughts about this topic and your concerns. Uh, Have you ever used or seen deep fake videos spread them around perhaps on TikTok or social media give us a call share your experience with it at 866-733-6786 again 866-733-6786 or you can find us on Twitter Facebook Instagram we're at kqed forum professor Fareed, um, we've seen this rodeo before uh, in 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 the, in the in the way of social media you know when it was first emerging and I think a lot of people would say some mistakes were made. And I'm wondering what you think can be learned from how social media, Facebook, Twitter, and so on, was or wasn't dealt with both by the industry and by government. Yeah, that's a great question. And I do – it
2: does feel like we are somewhat repeating the mistakes and then some because you're right. We we went into the early days of the internet and social media with this naive, maybe idealistic view that eh, we don't have to regulate the internet. It'll be fine. Let's let the government get out of the way and everything will be fine. And I, I think we're all looking at the landscape of the very networks, by the way, that you just enumerated where people should follow you and, and talk to you. Um, and we're looking at them and being like, yeah, there's there's some good things. The good things have come from it. Um, but there's also a lot of harm um, in the form of disinformation campaigns and hate and fraud and bullying and intolerance and general awfulness of the Internet. And What's so frustrating to me is that when I'm on Capitol Hill talking with our regulators is they still haven't figured out the last 20 years. (laughs) And meanwhile, here comes the next whatever, 5, 10, 20, 30 years. And we still are really wrestling with how to regulate the Internet. And in fairness, it is complicated. It moves very fast. And here's another complication for everybody to think about, which is the U.S. is a population of 350 million people, which is about 5% of the world population. So when we are talking about regulating the Internet, we are this is not a U.S. issue. We are talking about regulating an Internet probably for 95 percent of the world that is outside of our borders with very, very different social structures and, and, and political structures and economies. And that's very complicated. But I think the idea that there is no room for regulation on the Internet is over and, but the problem is we have delayed dealing with this problem for so long. Our regulators are largely uninformed of the technology landscape. Um, our courts are largely uninformed about it. And, it, and, it's, and it's struggling to, to sort of come to grips with it. And I'll add one more thing here is that why, for the love of God, are you dragging in the CEOs of these for-profit companies to talk about regulating the industry? Hmm. These are not the people you need to be hearing from. We need to be hearing from independent voices who don't have – financial well-being staked on the, the very success of these companies. I mean, look, I'm all for dragging Zuckerberg in front of Congress and berating him, but it doesn't lead to anything. We have to be more thoughtful about these debates. Yeah.
0: Well, especially when you've got like Senator Orrin Hatch asking, how do you make money? You know, I mean, these are like, these are just such basic things. I did, I watched a little bit of the hearing today I, and I did get the sense that there was there, there was much more awareness of the issue yeah. and the technology and also transparency about, look, hey, we don't there's a lot of things we don't know, yeah. um, and it also seemed to me that Sam Altman, uh, from, who, whose company you know created Chat, yeah. GBT was not the same type of personality. He's concerned; uh, he wa- almost wants the regulation. Yeah, um, you know, and I wonder if you think that matters.
2: I, I I agree that there's a little bit. I think the the senators are a little bit more informed, and that means their staffers are a little bit more informed. I agree. Sam Altman is not Mark Zuckerberg, but I look Zuckerberg on many, many occasions went to the Hill and said, you should regulate the industry. But then behind the scenes, he was lobbying to kill any regulation both here and in the EU and in the UK and in Australia and around the world. And so what you say in front of that mic on national television and what your company is doing behind the scenes with the lobbying may be very, very different things. I think, look, you know, it's one thing for me to come on on the show here as an academic and talk about the potential harms of this technology, but it's not just me. And I, I, I don't really honestly care what Sam Altman says. He has too much stake in this thing. But Jeff Hinton, who is considered the godfather of AI, he is a former academic, was at Google for many years, has been beating the machine learning and AI drum for 40 years, quit his job at Google because he is concerned about the risks of AI to humanity not just democracy. Yeah. And I think that should really worry people. When people like Jeff Hinton step away and say, guys, my life's work may have been a mistake. We should all take a breath and start asking some hard questions. And, and the thing is, this technology, look Elon Musk can write all the letters he wants. It is not going to stop. And we cannot wait for uh, our regulators to spend years and decades trying to figure out how to regulate this. This is an all-hands emergency. Mm. We have
0: got to get our act together. Mm. We've got some listener comments. Greg writes, can you ask your guest what specific rules can be imposed? Mm. Realistically, this can't be controlled. Remember, as the saying goes, if AI is outlawed, only outlaws will have AI. We have no idea how to control social media. So why does he think we can do anything about controlling AI? Good. So,
2: first of all, I think, Greg, that's the right question. Um, I I don't I don't I would never advocate and I don't think anybody who's reasonable is advocating ban all AI research. It's 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 naive at best and it's not going to work. But I think there are some reasonable safeguards we can do around the generative AI is particularly around fraud and disinformation. And so I think we can regulate that if you are in the business of synthesizing content, text, images, audio or video, You must take responsibility for that before it goes into the wild. And the way you take responsibility is that you watermark and fingerprint the content. So let me just spend a second talking Mm -hmm. about that. What watermarking does, it inserts something into the content that is difficult but not impossible to remove so that downstream we have the chance of knowing what it is. We're not banning it. We're not saying you can or can't do it, but just identify it. The fingerprinting says before you release something, you extract a digital signature and you store that securely server side Hmm. so that we can then query your system and ask, is this piece of content belong to you or not? Hmm. And that combination, I think, will help with at least figuring out what's synthetic and what's real.
0: Well, let me ask you, Know, there's an old expression that, uh, what is it? a lie can make its way around yeah. the world before the truth can put its pants on yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But the po- the point is, I'm just wondering, isn't what you just said a little naive, dare I say, uh, given that you you are one of the foremost experts on this? But because things can get shared so quickly and a lot of people don't really care you Absolutely. Know, whether they're Absolutely. So accurate I- or not.
2: I call this a necessary but not sufficient solution. And the reason I say that is that you're absolutely right. If all we do is tag these things, but then we let Facebooks and Instagrams and TikToks and Twitters and YouTube's algorithm amplify the most outrageous thing, well then it it does us no good, right? So, but I think it's necessary so that at least downstream, we can then say, all right, guys, look, we now know that this stuff is fake and your algorithms have to respond to that. And so the reason I'm advocating for this is because I think it's something we can do today, not tomorrow. I think it's something that sets up the guardrails for the future. And the thing is, is that we need to be very forward looking here because it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. And by the way, you can do exactly the same watermarking and fingerprinting for real content. So when I pick up my phone and take a photo or an image or a video of a candidate or police violence or human rights violations, I can fingerprint and watermark that content so you can know it's real as well. And then downstream, you are absolutely right, Scott. We have other problems we need to solve with the classic social media recommendation algorithms. But that's going to be tomorrow's problem. Right now, I think if you ask me what should what can Congress do that is technically feasible, that does not run afoul of the Constitution um, and would not stifle innovation, this is the one thing I can see where we can at least know What is real and what is not? And then we can make some policy decisions downstream.
0: One of the witnesses at the hearing today, and I believe it was the woman from IBM, and again, you know, they're self-interested in this. But she was saying that she was recommending that you not uh, that you not regulate the companies or even the technology, but the uses, these Mm -hmm. particular uses of the technology. What do you what do you think of that?
2: Yeah, I mean it's fair that when we talk about generative AI there are lots of applications and it is it does seem difficult to say well, we're just we're going to we're going to bundle it all together. Um so I think that's fair to want to make that distinction. I think the other distinction we can make here and this is something that we can also do right now is that historically tech companies from the Googles to the Facebooks have escaped any liability because of section 230 of the Communications Decency Act that says you are not responsible for third party content. But generative AI is not third-party content. Your ChatGPT that you trained and you deployed is creating whole cloth new content. And one thing we can say is, look guys, if your ChatGPT encourages somebody to commit a crime or to hurt themselves or is defamatory, that is on you. Not You don't get the 230 shield. And I think that will also force the companies to put some guardrails on how they are so quickly and I think overly aggressively deploying this technology.
0: We're talking about AI in the 2024 election. That's Hani Farid, professor at UC Berkeley. And we're joined now by Scott Weiner. He is a California state senator representing San Francisco. And Senator Weiner, first of all, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I know that you personally have experienced uh, some of the downsides, the dark and ugly downsides of this technology. Can you just quickly tell us some, give us some examples of that?
5: Well, I, I mean, in a few ways. I mean, first of all, we uh, people need to remember that AI has been with us for a while, and that when we talk about social media uh, algorithms. Uh, the algorithms that push people into rabbit holes so they become conspiracy theorists because they keep getting fed the, the one thing that they looked up. Uh, and, and so that's what helped generate QAnon and some of these other violent conspiracy theories. So that has certainly impacted me because I have been broadly demonized by the QAnon MAGA hard right um, as, as being harmful to children because we are fighting for LGBTQ youth. Uh, and and uh, and so forth. So that so I've been impacted by AI in terms of those social media destructive algorithms uh, but there have also been a, n- a number of images created of me uh, that look very real but are totally fake uh, and that's with a very primitive version of, of, of AI. Uh, one can only imagine what happens when AI is a thousand times more powerful than it is today in terms of images, video, Etc.
0: So based on that and other things, you know, as an elected official, what do you see as the upside and downside of this technology as it relates to politics?
5: Well, there's plenty of upside. And what we want to make sure we don't do is squelch innovation around AI. Uh, AI has the potential to cure diseases, uh, to create more effective uh, vaccines, uh, to just dramatically improve health. It has the uh, a potential to end hunger uh, by making food production more efficient and more productive. It has the potential to help us solve climate change. Uh, but but that positive in terms of the extreme like intellectual power, for lack of a better phrase, is also the potential downside. Uh, because uh, AI, as it becomes, again, for lack of a better word, smarter and smarter, um, could and, and, and really could become smarter than we are as human beings. Uh, and then we could end up losing control of a lot of things. Uh, and we could experience profound public safety uh, impacts in terms of cybercrime and much more dangerous situations if we lose uh, control.
0: And elections.
5: And democracy, And elections, yeah, and just democracy undermining and, faith, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I know you've been talking to tech folks, AI executives about your concerns. What are they telling you in terms of regulations and other things? Yeah,
5: well, I will. I will tell you. And I, I was with a, a group of uh, AI uh, brilliant uh, people uh, about a month or so ago who were all saying to me, uh, basically, please regulate us. And I told them that uh, that. that It's not very common that an industry comes forward and says, you know what, Um, we need to be regulated, Uh, uh, but it's happening here. And especially when I talk to some pretty high-level people, um, especially off the record, some people don't always want to be public in what they say, they're very clear with me that they are concerned about um, democracy, they're concerned about safety, they're concerned about what this means for the future, what it means for their children, what kind of world they're children are going to live in. Uh, and they're. these are not melodramatic people. These are not alarmist people, but they are deeply concerned and even scared uh, if we do not get a handle on this and put guardrails in place before AI uh, permeates every aspect of life and every system that governs our lives. Uh, and over and over again, people say to me, what happened with social media where we did nothing and we allowed it to just spiral out of control, we can't let that happen again.
0: And Professor Fareed, I'm wondering if you think any kind of state guardrails or regulations uh, would be effective given, as you said a few minutes ago, just how yeah. pervasive, I and mean, we're talking about the world, the globe, uh, or or is because so much of this is coming out of California, the technology and the the innovation, maybe it does make sense to start here.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, if any state is going to work on this, it should be California because the titans of tech are here. And we should be proud of that. But it's also our responsibility. I would very much prefer to see this coming out of the federal government. But if the federal government is not going to act, I think it is perfectly reasonable for Sacramento to say, look, guys, we are not going to sit around and wait for this. Um, And look, is it will it will it make an impact? Yeah, I think it will. We saw the Europeans uh, pass GDPR for the privacy and that impacted the world. Um by the way the Europeans have already a draft AI legislation that they they are moving much much faster than we are shame on us we really should be leading on this but that's been the case with a lot of uh, tech related things hasn't it in terms Absolutely. of the EU Absolutely. They've, they've always been ahead of us. And maybe it's easier because the companies aren't there and it's a little bit easier for them to do that. Uh, but these are our companies and this is our technology. And I think we want to be leading on and, and Senator Wiener said this exactly right is we don't want to stifle innovation. We have to be thoughtful about the regulation. I'm encouraged that those in the tech industry want or at least say they want. Um, some regulations. So I think we are in a place to work with them very closely to figure out what is the best way to move forward for everybody.
0: Senator Weiner, I'm wondering, you know, we've seen other issues bring together Republicans and Democrats in Sacramento. I'm thinking of fentanyl, for example. Um, But they come at the issue on that issue, fentanyl, from in very different ways, you know, punishment versus harm reduction, for example. What are you seeing around AI uh, in terms of your colleagues there in the Senate on both sides of the aisle?
5: Um, well, uh, what I and we've seen on some technology uh, regulation issues, a lot of bipartisan support, wh- whether it's some of the social media uh, regulations to protect kids, or uh, when I authored California's net neutrality law, we got bipartisan support for that. But what I will say is that uh, a week or two ago, uh, a Republican assembly member in California introduced a resolution calling for Congress to put a moratorium uh, on AI. Uh, now, whatever one thinks of that particular approach, uh, that signaled to me that there are opportunities here to work in a bipartisan bipartisan way. Uh, and we will, um, as we move forward, we'll definitely try to do that. And I hope that Congress can do that as well. Yeah.
0: Professor Farida I know you don't need forum to talk to Senator Weiner; <laughs> You can talk to him <laughs> on your own. But I'm curious what you th- what questions you think he should be asking or thinking about as he goes about. Uh, you know, talking with his colleagues and maybe trying to come up with some regulations around all this.
2: Yeah, I I think, you know, we started off the, the top of the hour talking about both generative and predictive AI. And while I think generative AI is a big part of the conversation, because of its ability to spread disinformation and commit fraud and non-consensual sexual imagery, we should not forget, and and it's very sort of uh, uh, visible to us because we can use it. We should not forget about the predictive AI, about how, for example, the courts are using algorithms to make uh, bail decisions, which are significantly disadvantageous to people of color, how companies are using predictive AI to vet uh, candidates, which is significantly disadvantageous to women. Hmm. These are very quiet, And behind the scenes, and we have to think very carefully about how AI is not just visible to us, but how it's also invisible.
0: All right, Senator Weiner, I want to thank you for joining us, uh, and good luck with what you're working on there up in Sacramento.
5: Thank you, thank you, and I'll just put a plug in. I have Real a colleague. Quick. <laughs> Real uh, re- quick, come into coll- a break. My colleague Rebecca Bauer Khan has some a bill relating to discrimination with predictive ai all right
0: senator scott weiner thank you so much stick around we're going to take a short break and when we return we're going to take your calls about this very important topic on forum
4: support for forum comes from san francisco opera
0: And we continue our conversation about AI and the 2024 election. Scott Schaefer here this hour from Mina Kim, and I'm joined by Hani Fareed, a professor at UC Berkeley from the School of Information and uh, and other titles. Um, and I, I just want to also encourage you to give us a call uh, at 866-733-6786. We'll uh, we want to hear your comments, your thoughts about this. 866-733-6786. Uh, Or you can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Professor Freed, I want to play another um, bit of tape here. This is uh, another deep fake uh, of President Biden that was posted to Twitter by a a pretty well-known content producer. His name is Zach uh, Silberberg.
3: Good evening, my fellow Americans. I've made a huge mistake. Are you familiar with the 2011 film We Bought a Zoo? The Matt Damon picture. ScarJo is in it as well although her performance isn't anything to shake a stick at, if I'm being honest. It was directed by Cameron Crowe, the fellow who made Jerry Maguire. Show me the money! Anyway, so I was watching We Bought a Zoo a few days ago because it came up on my Disney Plus after I finished an episode of that Baby Yoda show, and I thought, wow, I, I still can't believe they bought that freaking zoo (laughs)
0: <laughs> Again, funny, <laughs> yeah. but you know, as you started talking, I was thinking, what if he was announced? What if it was a fake announcement of nuclear war or yeah. you know, some awo- uh, some standoff over Taiwan? I mean, I'm thinking of War of the Worlds, you know, know and yeah. people went into panic. Yeah, yeah. I, I first
2: of all. I think that's the nightmare situation is somebody releases an audio or a video of Putin or Biden saying, I've launched nuclear weapons. And before anybody figures out what's going on, we're off to the races. Here are some other ones, by the way, since we're talking about doomsday. Uh, Somebody releases a video of uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg saying our profits are down 30 percent. Um, In what seems to be a confidential board meeting how long before the market moves to the tune of billions of dollars. So the ability to manipulate our very economy geopolitical, by the way, there was a video uh, last week of a drone purportedly striking the Kremlin. There is some evidence that that may either have been staged or is not entirely real. And it was used by Putin to drum up support within his borders for the continued uh, aggression against Ukraine. So these things can be used with really big implications from geopolitical actions to major disruptions of our economy.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's bring our listeners in again. The number to call 866-733-6786. And we're going to begin in San Francisco with Decker. Welcome.
4: Hi. Wonderful program. Great points you're bringing up. My question is, how can you put some of these points into legislation that matches up with what the G7 conference in Japan is discussing about AI?
0: Professor Freed. Yeah.
2: Um, I, so first of all, let me let me just preface all of this thing. I'm a computer scientist. I am not a lawyer. I don't write policy. I try to inform our policymakers on how the technology works. So I think when you're talking about the G7, you are talking about very different countries with very different ideals and, and competitive natures. So this is why I have co- I, I have come back to this watermarking and fingerprinting idea. Because I think it's something that is easy, it's uncontroversial, it's technically feasible, it doesn't uh, limit uh, technological innovation. And it's a way of us just labeling and tagging everything so that a year from now or two years from now, when we really figure out what the legislation is going to look like, we can have at least chance of figuring out what is out there. Here's another reason you wanna do this, by the way, is that right now, all of these machine learning algorithms are trained on human generated data that have been scraped from the internet. What happens when these machines start scraping its own content and retraining on that? Hmm. That's a very weird scenario because we know that ChatGPT hallucinates, it makes things up. We know that images and audio and video have artifacts in it, and so even for their own interest they should be interested in making sure that their networks are not incestuous because that could be very lead to some very strange things mm. um, so i i realized i didn't answer your question very well because i don't i don't know the answer because it is such a difficult space here's how you know it's a difficult space by the way we still don't have consensus on how to protect children online from child sexual abuse we are still arguing about this let alone some of these very complex and fast-moving spaces and so I, you know, my thing is put the guardrails in as much as possible right now, and then we'll
0: deal with these complex negotiations downstream. All right, Decker, thanks so much for the call, um, Professor. I wonder, you know, Governor Newsom has been talking a little bit about all this, and you know, he's somebody who I think, uh, you know, is fairly savvy about technology. Um, he's also very tight with a lot of people in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. And you know his concern is we don't want to overcorrect. You don't want to yeah. stifle innovation. Yeah. You have to be nimble. Um, yeah. how do you think about striking that balance? Yeah. I mean that's always the concern and and it, and
2: it's a real concern with social with let's forget about AI for a minute with social media because we have neglected the problem for 15 20 years and everybody's now frustrated and angry and And scared. and so is there a concern that we will overcorrect? And the answer is sure. it's 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 always a concern. And of course, there's a concern that you can undercorrect. And what makes it so difficult in this space is we used to measure the cadence of technology in you know twelve months, right? Twelve months, sixteen months, eighteen months, you'd see sort of these 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 new innovations. Now we are measuring it in weeks. Um, and so it is moving very, very difficult, which means it's very, very difficult for us to know what does overcorrection or undercorrection looks like. And so I'm very much an incrementalist in this regard. I think you, you take one small step forward, you look to see what happens and you move again and you move again. But of course, that requires government, Sacramento and Capitol Hill to be much more nimble than they are. Uh, and for us to you mentioned um, um, partisanship uh, with Senator Weiner earlier on. This is not this should not be a partisan issue. Um, and we need to be able to put that aside for us to be able to respond to things very, very quickly, because this stuff is is moving. It is getting integrated into our everyday
0: lives. And we don't fully understand it. You mentioned that uh, apparent uh, drone attack on the Kremlin or attempt yeah. to it. And I'm wondering, like, w- what role do you see for China and Russia, both good and good? And bad. And unfortunately, I think especially with Russia, it's bad yeah. But because uh, yeah. we, we saw them meddling in our elections.
2: Yeah. So first of all, I think for uh, meddling in elections outside of uh, their borders, this is going to make them just even more effective than they have already been. And it's not just Russia. There are other state-sponsored interference campaigns. Um, I think it's going to be able to make them deny reality. And you've seen Putin do this, that when we see images and video of war crimes in the Ukraine, he says they're fake. Fake news. It's the Donald Trump line. Um, That is really worrisome. Um, How China will deploy AI technology, I think, remains to be seen. Um, Some interesting, potentially non-nefarious uses, but it's certainly good for propaganda because we are already seeing in China that newscasters are now fully AI synthesized. You can control, uh, already China has a very tight control over the information ecosystem, but now they don't have to worry about human beings. They just have androids, essentially, avatars just spewing the propaganda from the government Hmm. on the news stations and you don't have to worry about anybody going off script. And so it can really make uh, government sponsored propaganda even more effective.
0: Hmm. You know, we're already seeing the use of chat, uh, GBT and Hmm. other uh, programs like that uh, by the news media. Some of it is to, you know, make fun memes or that kind of a thing. But what should Organizations like NPR, The New York Times, you know, legitimate, so-called legitimate news organizations be thinking about as we approach 2024 and as it relates to AI.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, everybody's using ChatGPT. I'm here on the UC Berkeley campus, and I can tell you, I think just about every student here is using it to do their homework. And it's a very complicated landscape for us in the academy and all the way down to to middle school, how we embrace and but also make sure that the students are learning what they need to and not just having ChatGPT generate content. Understand, of course, that ChatGPT is not fact checking. So when you ask it to write a story about Professor Fareed, it will just make some stuff up. Um, and so I think media outlets have to be exceedingly cautious on how they are using it. Uh CNet got themselves in trouble because they were using ChatGPT and were not fact-checking it and the articles were just wrong. They were just completely wrong. Um and so I think there are, there are some real concerns. I think where I'm seeing the mainstream media really struggle however is with images and video. That every time an image or a video comes out, uh the media is struggling to figure out if it's real or not and let me just give you one very concrete example that was fascinating is that before donald trump was indicted there was a series of images purportedly showing him being arrested and chased down by the fbi and handcuffed and of course he hadn't been indicted yet and so you could sort of figure out that they were fake but then when he was indicted there were pretty similar photographs showing him surrounded by police officers going into the court and the media now is looking at that landscape and wondering well How do I make sense of this? How do I know those are real now because those were just fake? And that's a very sort of complicated space for reporters.
0: Yeah. And and you were saying earlier that, like, what happens when we get to the point where uh, this machine learning is scraping its own information and creating. And and so at the same time, we're worried about the the technology getting so good that you can't tell the difference between fake and real. So for, you know, most of us, is it better that the the technology be more precise and accurate (laughs) or is it, you know, what? We, Pick it's a your great poison. Question. Yeah, yeah, right. Should should we force it to be slightly
2: inaccurate? Well, here's a few things I can tell you. Uh, the precursor to the dollies and the mid journeys uh, and the stable diffusion that you're seeing now, where you just type and it generates an image, were called GANs, generative adversarial networks, also able to generate images of people who don't exist. And I can tell you, we have done perceptual studies and we have shown people images of people who are real, people who are generated by a machine, and people cannot tell. They are literally a chance performance. So the images are getting exceedingly realistic. And that's, of course, by design. This is what the designers of the system are trying to do, is to pass through the uncanny valley and generate content that is indistinguishable from a photographic image. And they are wildly successful at that, whether it's audio, images, or video.
0: That's a success for them, but also a challenge for us as the consumer of this content. Here's a comment from Greg who writes, any watermarking, which we talked about earlier, could be quickly outsmarted by AI. Uh, You agree with that? Yes and no.
2: Um, Here's the way I think about it. I have locks in my house and I suspect Greg does too, but there are still locksmiths out there. Just because something can be subverted doesn't mean you don't put the speed bump in. Um, I also want to mention that I also said we should do watermarking, which Greg is absolutely right, will eventually get broken, but you can also fingerprint, which means you extract something from the content, which mean, and you hold that back, that's harder to subvert. So I think the way you think about this is you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So you do watermarking and fingerprinting of synthetic content. You do watermarking and fingerprinting of real content. And then you have lots of forensic techniques, the kind of stuff that we do in my lab here at Berkeley to sort of fill in the gaps. And cybersecurity is not solved with one shield. It's solved with many, many, many shields that sort of come together to protect you. It's never perfect. The adversary will always get through, but right now, Literally anybody with an Internet connection and five dollars a month can clone the president's voice that we need to protect against.
0: Yeah. And uh, I guess all these other things you can do, you kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best to a certain extent. I mean, it's sort of it seems to be our model
2: with the technology sector. And here's something I've, I've often been baffled by is why we treat the technology sector so different than the offline world. When somebody wants to release a product into the world, it has to be tested, it has to go through all kinds of regulation and safeguards to make sure that when I put it in my pocket or I consume it, it doesn't kill me. But we don't treat the digital world like this. And I think part of that is because we thought for a long time, well, it's the Internet. Who cares? What, yeah. what happens on the Internet stays on the Internet. That is not true anymore. And so I think we have to fundamentally
0: rethink how we regulate the technology space. Yeah. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in for Mina Kim. And we're going to continue our conversation with Hani Farid about deep fakes and the 20 24 elections, so much to be concerned about. And you know, there, I, I don't want to completely disregard the other, what you mentioned, uh, what we talked about, the predictive AI with mm. setting bail and those sorts of things. That's a whole other show, I think, yeah. uh, but obviously with dire consequences potentially. And you, you do see some uh, local governments even, like San Francisco, trying to implement regulations, banning the use of uh, facial scans, for example, mm-hmm. in, at the airport or th- that yeah. sort of thing. Is, is that is that a good idea for local government to get getting be getting involved in this or is that just really too you know too micro I I am concerned by it, but
2: I understand why we're doing it, because the federal government isn't. We are still not talking seriously about privacy, about face recognition being deployed in ways that um, are inappropriate. And the issue with face recognition, besides the privacy issue, is that we know that it is continually problematic in terms of an asymmetric accuracy for people of color and for women. And that is a real problem that you cannot be deploying technologies that have – that are simply – greening historical biases into the system. And so I understand why the state government is doing that, um, because it is out of frustration with the federal government is not. And my hope is, and this is the reason I'm supportive of the legislation, is that the federal government will look at this piecemeal legislation happening in multiple states and say, OK, this is getting out of hand. We are going to have to do this. And the technology sector is going to want the federal government to do that because they don't want to have to comply with a varied set of state regulations that are very hard to comply with.
0: Here's a listener comment from Michelle who writes, I like the idea of watermarks for AI generated content and think they're quite reasonable, but it's still possible to take a screenshot of an AI-generated image and crop out the watermark and then disseminate it and convince people that it's Ah. a normal photo. Uh, Are there any solutions that would avoid this problem without making the watermark so big that it covers the entire image? Good, Michelle.
2: Thank you for the question. I should have mentioned that the watermarks are imperceptible. So what you are thinking about is if you go to OpenAI's Dolly, there's a tiny little watermark in the bottom right-hand corner of those four colored squares, which are trivial for somebody to crop out. The watermarks that I'm describing are imperceptible. You will not see them. Now, I think you, you can have the visible one. It's fine. But the ones I'm talking about are resilient to cropping. And in fact, they're resilient to screenshots as well. And they're resilient to other types of attacks that are designed to to try to remove them. And the way you know that it's there is um either the brow you have a browser plugin that can read the watermark for you or there's a website where you can upload the image to and it will tell you that the watermark is present.
0: Nancy writes, legislators really need to talk to the experts, not the CEOs. The tech <laughs> developers have reportedly shown uh, repeatedly rather shown that they don't feel responsible about what they do. And now AI, is in the ring, scary. You talked about that earlier, Professor Freed. And then another listener says, can a language learning model form of generative AI actually think like us, and could it really become smarter than us? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Um, I don't know. So let me tell you
2: what the conventional wisdom is. There are people out there who say, no, the current large language models will never reach human intelligence, however you want to try to define that. There are other people who disagree with that and say, this is on the path to that. And I think the answer is nobody really knows. There are certainly glimmers of what seems to be human-like intelligence. And in fact, just today, Microsoft researchers, Microsoft being one of the major found, uh, funders of OpenAI, released a 155-page research paper with the title, A Spark of Artificial General Intelligence, which is referring to human-like intelligence, and saying that the machines seem to exhibit things that are very human-like. Now, whether that the current large language models will get there or not, I don't know and I think
0: remains to be seen. All right. We're almost at the end of the hour. But just real quickly, uh, Professor Freed, thoughts about what voters, consumers should be thinking Mm. about as we head into this election season? Okay, here's an easy one. Stop, please, for the (laughs) love of God, getting your news
2: from social media. This is not what social media was designed for. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, use that for entertainment. It's fine. I don't care but news is not what social media is good at, and it's not what it was designed for. Um, Understand also that you are being manipulated. You are being manipulated by the Russians, you are being manipulated by international forces, by the campaigns themselves, by trolls, and by people who just don't like other people. And that should make you angry. And we should return to, to listening to serious people who do a serious job trying to inform us. That's number one.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, Willie, that's a big one, and let's hope uh, let's hope folks take that up. And, you know, media organizations, of course, we all have responsibilities in this regard. Uh, hani Farid from UC Berkeley's School of Information, thank you so much for uh, what a really an interesting, entertaining hour. Great talking to you, Scott. Thank you. And informative, I should say, as well, not just entertaining. All right. You've been listening to Forum. Thanks to all of my guests, Professor Fareed and also Senator Scott Weiner. before that, and to our listeners for your comments and questions. I'm Scott Schaefer, In for Mina Kim, you've been listening to Forum.